Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What on earth was the, the tin of boiled sweets about? I mean, like... Was that your dessert sometimes, David, as a child, just having a, some boiled sweets or something? Hello to all of our listeners and welcome back to our special series of the Bake Down podcast. You're listening to Emily, one of the hosts for the Bake With A Legend virtual classes. And I'm joined each week by former Bake Off contestants and the real stars of this podcast, Howard Middleton and Jane Beadle, to reflect on this new celebrity series. And I'm delighted to announce that we're also joined by another special guest today, former Bake Off finalist, Ian Cumming. Welcome, Ian. Thank you very much, Emily. Thank you. Good to be here. And good to have you here and good to have you back as well, Jane and Howard. Oh, thank you. Always a pleasure, Emily. And it's lovely to be able to share it with Howard and Ian. Uh, A real joy. Oh, lovely. As we go through the celebrity series of the Great British Bake Off, we want to hear from you. So please send your questions in and we'll do our best to read them out and have them answered by Jane, Howard and our other special guests that we'll have each week. Just email thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com and tune in next week to see if your question gets answered. So before we talk through this week's episode, if you're new to Bake with a Legend and you'd like to join us for one of our virtual classes with a Bake Off star, then please do check out our website, bakewithalegend.com, where you can choose from a fantastic selection of classes suitable for all abilities. Upcoming classes with availability include Rosie's Cornish Pasties on the 21st of March, And we have our special Easter-themed classes featuring Howard's Hot Cross Buns, Ian's Easter Carrot Cake, and I'm pleased to announce that we have just added another date for Jane's fabulous Showstopper Caramel Drip Cake on the 1st of May. Lots of opportunities to learn new skills, to have fun, and to interact with your favourite Bake Off star, and all from the comfort of your own kitchen. For more information, visit bakewithalegend.com and remember that you can use the code PODCAST for 10% of the class booking. So, 
Episode two, we saw Hollywood actor James McAvoy, Olympic gold medalist Dane Kelly Holmes, singer-songwriter Anne-Marie, and comedian and novelist David Bedeal take to the tent for three testing challenges to see who would win gold and be crowned Star Baker this week. Jane, I'm going to come to you first. Did you have a favourite from this week's initial lineup? I don't know, it's a difficult one, actually. Probably James McAvoy, just because he's so gorgeous. But it didn't take long before... I just liked them all. I just thought this was one of the best shows that I've seen in a long time. It made, Even now, you can tell, it made me laugh so much. I thought they were all genius. And by the end, by halfway through, um, I, I wasn't sure who I wanted to win. Well, yeah. I knew who hadn't won <laughs> because Aww. it was crazy. Well, I know I, I loved them all. I thought they were great. Very, very, very good lineup. Go brilliant. I'm going to come to you next, Ian. Did you have a particular favourite out of our four before they began baking? Uh, yeah, I have to say it did. Um, we're huge fans of his dark materials in this house. So uh, James McElroy, he was definitely out and out favourite here. And I have to say, you know, as soon as we heard he was um, on it, we were very excited. And then just hearing that lovely Scottish accent, it just wins every time for us. Oh, yes. He was definitely good entertainment as well. Really good value in the tent. How about you, Howard? Yes, I, I, I suppose we're all following suit here, aren't we? I was really drawn to James. I thought he, I thought he looked lovely, <laughs> but I was also amazed by by Anne Marie, who I've only seen before uh, on The Voice, and I thought she just brought such enthusiasm to the competition as well. She, you could tell she uh, she was just going in there and determined to to have fun, and she was obviously competitive. But, but quite thrilled when she was able to do something successful. Yeah, it was a really good lineup this week and uh, definitely lots of laughs in the tents, which we'll go through a little bit later. Um, but first, let's go on to our signature bake. Hello, you lovely bakers. It's Andrew here. Very excited that I've got some slots left on a sticky toffee pudding class on the 27th of March. I think it's the best sticky toffee pudding going in the UK, but come and join me and find out if you agree. So for this week's Signature Bake, the celebrities were asked to make a deep-filled, sweet decorative tart using any filling they wished with a short crust pastry base and the perfect decoration. Howard, if you were doing this challenge, what flavours would you have gone for? You know, it's it's interesting because I think generally we saw uh, in the tent this week there was a lot of chocolate going on, uh, particularly when we got to the, the showstopper. And it did remind me a little bit of last week's technical challenge, which was the chocolate and raspberry tart. So the idea of doing a pastry case and then filling it with a, a ganache or something like that. Um, I did, I must admit, I, I love a little bit of citrus. So I did like the idea of doing something like a lemon meringue or possibly grapefruit meringue or something that's just a little bit different. Lovely. Jane or Ian, do either of you have a, a particular flavour that you'd like to share with us that you would have gone for? Oh, well, I have to say, I, I've done quite a lot of t um, tarts with tinned mango pulp. It is fantastic stuff, really good. The, I don't know, I only ever basically get it from sort of Asian shops, 
Uh, it comes in sort of a double-sized tin, and it is lovely, because I find sort of fresh mangoes you can buy in the supermarket can be a bit hit and miss. But this tin stuff is is very reasonable price, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And you can make a sort of eggy kind of set tart, uh, but using the, the, the mango, uh, maybe a bit of lime to sharpen it up as well. So I'd probably do something along those lines. Oh, that sounds lovely. And how about you, Jane? Well... I make a lot of chocolate and caramel tarts. They always seem incredibly popular, big, thick layer. And I made one recently for a charity bake-along that was um, booze-soaked strawberries and a thick layer of caramel and then a chocolate ganache and then decorated with dipped strawberries on the top. Probably not my choice to eat, but it certainly goes down very well amongst chocolate and caramel lovers. But I would prefer something a bit fruity if I was eating it. So, yes, a lemon or, oh, I'm really intrigued with this um, tinned mango pulp. I'm going to have to go out searching for that. That sounds great. Um, Something a bit sharper for me. But if I was going to impress the neighbours or anybody, because let's face it, we all love showing off with our desserts, um, it would probably be a chocolate caramel and a bit of fruit shoved in there just to make it look a little healthier. <laughs> Delightful. I'd love a slice of that, Jane. That sounds lovely. And Ian, you'll have to share the mango recipe mm. with us. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's a nice one. Um, yeah, no, I'd be very happy to do that. It's gorgeous stuff. Oh, lovely. Brilliant. So our bakers then. So James went for a twist on the traditional lemon meringue pie by adding raspberry to his lemon curd and complementing it with raspberry-flavoured meringue decoration. We then saw banoffee flavours in the tent again this week as Anne-Marie chose to make a banoffee tart with slices of bananas and whipped cream sitting on a sea of caramel. I thought she did very well with her caramel, actually. Jane, what did you think of her caramel? Yeah, I I thought she did well. I I, I don't know how much experience she had. At the beginning, she said, um, all of my baking knowledge has left my brain or words to that effect. But I definitely got the impression that she didn't bake much. But she created a fantastic tart, I thought. She did a great job. And we all know that caramel is very difficult. Okay, so David made a delightfully named David's Revenge tart that was based on his mother's desserts throughout his childhood with a chocolate orange ganache decorated with mandarin segments and a rather out-of-place tin of boiled sweets, uh, which I didn't really understand, but I thought was very cute. Um, (laughs) And Kelly opted for an eaten mess tart with meringue kisses, a strawberry coulis and chocolate hearts and arrows to add to the decoration. So let's have a talk about David because he had a bit of a pastry disaster and James ended up giving him some of his spare pastry. Uh, Ian, I'm going to come to you for this one. Is that something which happens a lot in the tent? Are you allowed to help each other out or are there strict rules about what is and isn't allowed? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There aren't really too many rules in that respect, but I don't remember people sharing actual parts of their bake with one another. I don't really remember anyone having anything to spare. I mean, I think it has. I mean, people obviously do help each other a lot. And that's sort of obviously one of the the hallmarks of the, you know, the non-competition that is the competition that is Bake Off. But uh, I can't remember sharing ingredients. How about you guys? Can you remember moments of that? Well, the only one I can remember is is the infamous custard gate where I <laughs> I'd made a custard and accidentally ended up um Deborah, one of the other bakers, used it in her 
trifle. <laughs> so I then had to use her custody in my trifle, but that wasn't kind of voluntarily. It was um, it was just because I had no other option, really. Jane, did that happen in your series at all? Uh, no, not that I can recall at all. I mean, as Ian says, we all help each other. That's all part of the joy. But um, I don't remember that. But, you know, this is Celebrity Bake Off. Nobody's worrying about the competition getting through to next week or pipping you at the post. They're, they're just there for two days of fun. And, and clearly David was not really at <laughs> really a threat to anybody <laughs> it just made me laugh and I did watch some of it back um again <laughs> it just made me laugh even more I just I just thought he was wonderful and who wouldn't help him I love this sort of orange fish in a very polluted sea his description of his segments I just thought he was hilarious absolutely hilarious I love the concept as well um David's revenge for his mother's disappointing desserts desserts we won't begrudge him a bit of spare pastry I thought it was I thought it was strange though that obviously James comes along and hands him the pastry and clearly David has not been able to get pastry all around the rim of his of his pie dish and then he slaps it back in the bottom instead of using that pastry to give an edge to the tart I couldn't understand what he was doing there just made it thicker on the base (laughs) But as you say, what on earth was the the tin of boiled sweets about? I mean, like, was that your dessert sometimes, David, as a child, just having some boiled sweets or something? Uh... I know, it did seem a little out of place, but we'll give him full marks for being creative. Um, And I also noticed during this challenge that Paul was giving some indirect hints to the bakers. Now, on TV, it usually comes across as extremely unhelpful when he sort of gives them a knowing look but doesn't say anything for you guys did the judges ever give any helpful tips as they skulked up to your workstation generally the opposite yeah you're right um i remember i remember with me he came up and week two i'd had a pretty shocking week one and week two he came up and looked at this pile of rosemary uh, that was going to go in the biscotti and just said all of that's going to go in there and you're like, um, yes, Paul. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was that's how he was for our competition. Um, but, yeah, it's such a different thing, isn't it, uh, this this charity version? And I, and I have to say that one of the points I wanted to mention in this was just it made me think how much fun they were clearly having there. It made me think, God, that's what I should have been doing more. <laughs> They're having much more fun in the tent. We're taking it too desperately seriously compared to those guys. And... What a great show it made it as a result. I, I, I agree. I think it's one of my biggest regrets that I just didn't relax and enjoy the experience more. I think you do get so caught up in the kind of um, desire to do well that mm-hmm. sometimes you just don't um, kind of enjoy the moment. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe that's a good reason that they should have us all back to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. If you're listening... Bake Off producers, uh, get in touch because we've got three fabulous bakers who we'd love to see in the tent again. So James and Kelly had some very impressive meringue decoration and Anne-Marie's resembled a perfect Bonoffi pie. But poor David's had completely melted and was a bit of a mess. Paul said that the flavours were delicious, but that they hadn't left enough time to set. 
Jane, do you think this was a bit unfair, given that they only had two hours and 15 minutes? Well, no, not really. <laughs> to be honest, knowing what goes on, that bench would have been cleared. They would have gone up and had a cup of coffee and then they would have come out, come back to a nice clean bench and it still hadn't set. It had probably gone in the fridge as well. I, I feel that that ganache may never have set, ever. <laughs> it was more of a chocolate sauce. It made for good television, mm. definitely. And, and on the subject of workstations being cleaned, Jane, we have to mention Anne-Marie's incredibly messy workstation. I mean, there was just just stuff everywhere. Howard, what did you think of that? Oh, do you know, I, I, I feel for to a certain extent because I think I, I realise that quite often I'm not terribly messy, I don't think, but I use an awful lot of stuff. So I'll get a lot of different equipment out at the same time and, and then you end up getting a little bit overwhelmed by, by things. And I always think that you can't think clearly if you've got lots and lots of mess and stuff. So sometimes it just it just helps to kind of wipe things down and uh, and put a few things away. Well, the judges were quite complimentary during this challenge, with Prue saying that James's lemon and raspberry meringue pie was delicious, and Paul described it as close to perfection. As contestants in the Bake Off tents, it must be amazing when you get feedback like that from the judges, well, for any of the challenges, really. Ian, how did you find it when you received really good feedback from the judges? Oh, it was great. I mean, it really was, especially if you've previously had, you know, been marked down. I mean, certainly my sort of, um, yeah, you know, my experience was in the first week, going back to the dodgy first week, you know, Paul said, my first bake. So by this point, I put so much sort of time and effort into prepping to get to the tent. And the first bake, Paul said, was tastes like chewing on wallpaper paste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, this is it. I'm doomed in week one. Um, but then sort of came back and really liked the Black Forest Gatto. So it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I have to say that because it was just sort of this great dip and then an up, you know, it did make me feel quite emotional getting getting some praise when it all felt so gloomy. It was a lovely, lovely feeling. Great. And then they went on to say that Kelly's pastry was absolutely delicious and Paul cited it as one of the best he'd had for a while with a lovely combination of flavours. Jane, I can see you nodding. Did you agree with that? I certainly love, obviously we can't taste the pastry, but it looks good. She did a great job, didn't she? Um, Lovely Kelly Holmes. Um, Yeah, I like the idea of the strawberry strawberry curd and the Swiss meringue. did you perhaps strawberry? Who had some flavouring in their meringue? Um, oh, James. James had raspberry-flavoured meringue, yeah. I couldn't see how he flavoured it. I didn't see what he flavoured it with. Maybe it was some flavouring as opposed to fruit. But I thought she did a great job. And the thing I liked about hers, as opposed to James's, who also looked amazing, um, it didn't have quite the depth of meringue on it. And I think, for me, too much meringue on the top can be too sweet. So I liked the look of Kelly's a lot. Um, for somebody who said she'd only ever baked unsupervised once before in her life, I thought she did a stunning job. Absolutely stunning job. But then she's a sportswoman who's clearly very, very, very competitive. As lovely as she is, I'm sure she really wanted to do well in the tent, um, even though it wasn't, as she said, you know, for running, she had been doing it for 20 years and she thought 
that she was doing. But I thought she is a bit of a dark horse in this. She did a great job. I think I think it's fair to say David didn't quite do the best in this challenge, but uh, the other three were on reasonably level pegging as we went into the technical challenge. Hi, bakers. Hi, it's Karen here. I have got an Easter bake class on the 27th of March, 5pm. It's a traditional Simnel cake. Like it's centuries old and it's full of fruit and marzipan and it's got apricot jam in the middle of it and it's delicious and it's just so historic. So yeah, book yourself a place while you can. which was set by Prue, the celebrities had to make six buttermilk cheese scones served with the butter that they'd made themselves. When they first said cheese scones, I thought this would be an easy challenge, but to make your own butter, I think, is no mean feat. Ian, I'm going to come to you for this. Do you ever make your own butter? Uh, uh, My son came back from school probably about two years ago and said, I can make butter, Daddy. And it's like, what? Just from double cream? So that's, that is the only time I've done it. And for us, we just, I think we put it in a jam jar and shook and shook and shook and shook and shook. And eventually the, the two separated. But yeah, to actually make it and then use, use the, those ingredients, I think it's, I think it's quite a cool idea. Um, I'm making scones this weekend, uh, but I have already bought, bought my buttermilk. So um, yeah, not doing it the hardcore way. I feel as though this could be something we introduce as a new class for Bake with a Legend. Jane, what do you think? Have you ever tried churning your own butter? Absolutely. In fact, I did it a couple of weeks ago and I did it with my daughter at Christmas. And like Ian, I did it with a in a children's class a couple of years ago and they were shaking a jam jar of cream. And you can put in um, a clean marble or a clean pebble that just helps with the agitation. But one of the little girls was very, very um, vigorous and this stone split her jar and we had cream absolutely everywhere. Um, That's a really easy thing to do. And I don't push mine through muslin. What I do with mine is I rinse it in cold water. So I'll strain off all my buttermilk and keep it for scones or soda bread or something like that. Um, And then if you rinse your butter in cold water, because the high fat content, it it obviously doesn't cause any trouble to the butter. Um, You just get rid of all the uh, remainder of the buttermilk. And yeah, then just add your salt or whatever flavourings you want to do, wrap it up in some greaseproof paper and stick it in the fridge. It's absolutely delicious. And, and so easy. You can do it by hand. You can do it with an electric hand whisk. You can uh, put it in your food processor. Um, well, well worth doing. It's it's remarkably pleasing. Something so simple. It looked very nice as well. I think they all did a really good job with their butter. But one of the challenges for the technical was that the bakers didn't know how long to bake for. And I know Anne-Marie was keeping an eye on James because he put his scones into the oven five minutes before her. And so she said she would just take hers out five minutes after he'd taken his out, which I thought was quite cunning. Um, and I liked that uh, that suggestion. Is that something that's quite common for technical challenges that you wouldn't be told how long to bake for? I suppose it depends on the technical challenge, but how much does it vary when you get the instructions as to to how much direction you get? Ian? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's one of the, the things about the technical challenge is the sort of the, the scantness of the details, really. And I'm just trying to think if we were ever told the cooking time. I can't, don't think so. Uh, I think it's if we were told the temperature, that would be sort of one of the things to make it extra difficult. They might just say, bake it. But uh, yeah, I think that was probably more normally what we had. Maybe if they were nice, it might say, bake at 180 or whatever. So uh, yeah, that's it. All the guesswork that is the technical, him. Oh, that does sound like a challenge. Well, Anne-Marie made eight scones with the intention of having two as testers. Howard, is that permitted under normal bake-off rules? Because if it's not, I think it's a great idea and I think I would do the same if I was in the tens. I don't know whether it is permitted. I, I, I must admit, I saw a picture of me doing uh, English muffins. Uh, I was looking at that uh, earlier on in the week and I thought, do you know what you've done there? You've made some little testers and I don't know whether we were allowed to do that, but I'd clearly made a couple of extra ones just to be able to see how long to have them on the griddle. And it was certainly frowned upon. You couldn't do like 13 of something and say, these are my top 12. But, uh, but I, think, I think if I've done it once then, uh, and got away with it, then I don't see why Anne-Marie shouldn't really. And David opted to add all of his buttermilk rather than to measure it out how much was needed, which straight away I put my hands on my head and was like, no, why are you doing that? And as a result, as expected, it turned out more like a flat pastry. But despite looking awful, Paul said it tasted delicious. So I think he was quite lucky there. Um, but David did come forth in the technical, followed by Kelly. Uh, then it was Anne-Marie coming second, despite never having heard of a cheese scone before. And James came out on top with a pretty much a perfect scone. Jane, were you impressed with James's scones? Is this scone or scone? Let's take a vote, actually. Howard and Ian, scone or scone? Um, scone for me. Well, you see, I was brought up saying scone, and then I thought, in order to try and sound a bit posher, I'd say scone. So now I'm, I'm, I do it both ways. <laughs> I thought James's scones were absolutely incredible. See, I'm a bit guilty of undermixing mine, so I don't always get a smooth top. So I'm going to have to go back and have another look. Um, but yeah, what a great job he did, and and Anne Marie, um, I thought brilliant. But I have to spend a Sorry, guys, I have to keep going about David. David's were amazing. And as he poured all his egg over the top of them, I was just roaring with laughter out loud. I was just like, don't want to waste this. Let's just shove all this egg mixture on the top. In fact, I've written in my notes here, oh, my goodness, he's hilarious. <laughs> Let's just tell you, my son, um, who was born at the beginning of 1994, was probably the worst baby anybody could ever wish to meet. In fact, he was so bad at sleeping. He didn't sleep until he was six years old. And he was a terrible sleeper. Um, and in fact, a friend of mine who was looking to have a second child in the end said, I, I'm, I'm giving up, I'm too old. If I have one like um, him, um, it would kill me. So my poor, my poor son was absolutely dreadful. And I'd sit up in the middle of the night and feeding him and trying to keep him quiet rather than wake the rest of the house. Up. and um, I put the television on and there was Fantasy Football League with David Badgill and um, Frank Skinner and I would sit there watching them so this is oh, 26 years 
26, 27 years ago. Um, so I've loved David since then. They were, a, they were a dream team for me and still are. So to have him here doing the most ridiculous things, trying to bake, um, has been a complete joy. Uh, never mind the perfect scone. Give me David's um, cheesy flatbreads with, uh, with an egg topping any day. I just thought it would, they, they were hilarious. They weren't scones. Howard, last week you said you like to try to guess the order of who's come first and who's come last. Did you get it right this week? Did yes, again. <laughs> I think um, it, it was pretty obvious that that David was was bottom. Yeah, in fourth, let's not say bottom. Um, Kelly, yeah, I think I think it looked has looked a little bit kind of cracked or or something on top. Um, it was close between Anne Marie and James, but James, oh, I could watch him meticulously rolling and cutting his scones out all day. I thought, you know, quite often people make the mistake of twisting uh, in, rather than go, going down and then lifting up. And he just looked like a professional. So, um, so yes, it was, it was pretty obvious to me that James had won that. And it did look like a lovely recipe as well. I'd, I'd quite like that recipe. Hello folks, I'm Sam. And I'm Martin. And every week for the last five years, we've got together to talk about the musician Tom Waits. He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette <laughs> and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hole, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl. Uh, he's also the gravelly voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on Flixwatcher. So make sure you t- check those episodes out. And when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits. So heading into the Showstopper Challenge, James was definitely in the lead, I would say, but it was pretty even between Kelly and Anne-Marie with David seeming to enjoy himself regardless of his baking mishaps. We've already said that it was a particularly comedic group this week. And Jane, I know that uh, the celebrities definitely got some chuckles out of you this week. Were there any favourite moments you want us to reflect upon from this week that particularly gave you the giggles? Well, oh, I don't know. There are, there are so many, really. I mean, I think I started laughing right at the beginning of the week when David couldn't even get the cling film on his dough for his pastry. That, that, that made me laugh. Just the, the whole concept of a cake being a cat being called Chairman Meow <laughs> with his little red book and his cat. No, I think all of them all the way through had me laughing for different reasons. Um Yeah, at the beginning, um, Matt Lucas says, oh, you should never meet your heroes. And I I think he's probably got a point. But I was so delighted to see all of them be as lovely as I thought they would be. Um, I've always loved James McAvoy ever since I've seen him interviewed when he was Mr. Tumnus in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. He was a great Mr. Tumnus. And... Dame Kelly Holmes is just gorgeous, isn't she? And with a personality as big as her smile, I thought she was lovely. Uh, David Baddiel, I've talked about 
that's enough, I think. And Anne-Marie, a complete revelation to me. So they've had me laughing all the way through. I don't think I could pick out anything um, specific, but I just know that every time David came on screen, I roared with laughter. You can hear I'm still laughing and the tears are pouring down my face. They're just remembering it all. So David is probably my top funny man this week. No, it was definitely a very entertaining episode and I'm sure many of our listeners will be agreeing with those sentiments, Jane. So the celebrities were given three and a half hours to create a 3D marble cake which represents them in animal form. I think you three know what question is coming next. (laughs) What animal would you have chosen for yourself and why? I'm going to come to Ian first. My wife would probably call me something bony, like a greyhound. Um, (laughs) um, Because I haven't got enough meat on me to be much else, really. But I wish I could slightly run like a greyhound, but I've got the bony in it. Maybe a whippet, I think that's... (laughs) You can run like a greyhound. You've got more stamina than a whippet. I know that you're a fantastic runner. I think I could do it. Right. Okay. Yeah, let's go with the greyhound then. The bony greyhound. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Jane? What animal would you have chosen for yourself and why? Well, I, I, I knew you were going to ask this, so I had a little bit of a think about it. Um, and I could go back to my old dad, who probably was my baking inspiration um, many, many moons ago. And I was, I don't really swim these days, but I was really quite a good swimmer. Um, and my father turned around to me and said, uh, you're, you're like a swan, really elegant in the water and bloody awkward out of it, I think, were his <laughs> words. So I'd like to think I'm as beautiful as a swan. I don't think I am. I'd probably be more like... <laughs> so maybe a swan, but I think I'm probably more like a seal these days. Unlike Ian, I don't have bony problems. <laughs> I've probably got more blubber than um, I did in those days. So I'd be either a seal or a swan. I think maybe a seal would be easier to make in the tent. <laughs> oh, I think you're definitely a swan, Jane. No yeah. fears there. Howard, what about you? What would you have been? It's interesting, actually, because um, somebody asked me this question in an online class. Uh, I don't know, if it was last week or the week before, what animal would I be? Which is not one of those questions that you expect to get asked in, in one of the uh, Break With a Legend classes. But I said that when I'd been in the, um, in the Bake Off tent, the, one of the final bakes that I did was Schnecken, which are little snail shaped uh sort of pastries well bread really and i think um mel uh Gidroich at the time said oh howard you're a little schnecken aren't you and i said oh thank you and then paul hollywood said she's called you a snail and i <laughs> said something like well i'll take any compliment thank you and uh, so yeah i so i don't think it's it's um it's not a compliment to be called a snail so i'd be a, either a little schnecken a snail or possibly a tortoise, something like that. I love that answer, Howard. (laughs) So Paul and Prue said the bakers needed to be part artist and part baker for this challenge, and some managed it better than others. Dame Kelly went for a bear with a spicy chilli chocolate sponge and accompanying buttercream. David decided to to recreate his cat Chairman Meow using a coffee and chocolate marbled sponge with fondant icing. Anne-Marie said she would be making a monkey, as that's what her dad's nickname was for her as a child, with a chocolate sponge, fondant decoration and a marshmallow head. 
And she gave it some thought about the weight of the head, which I felt was impressive given that she wasn't um, a regular baker. So I was quite impressed by that. And James decided to be a little bit more exotic with his flavours as he made a pina colada snow leopard called Brendan, named after his son, with lime sponges, a homemade pineapple jam and a rum and coconut buttercream. Howard, I'm going to come to you first. What did you make of these flavour choices? Um, Again, I think I mentioned earlier, a lot of chocolate uh, to begin with. So I think it's quite, um, I think Jane and I have said in the past, quite often when you are judging cakes, um, a lot of people do chocolate cakes. So it is very, very popular. Um, So I was was really drawn by James's pina colada. I thought just something a bit different was, was great, really. Um, I did appreciate that that Kelly was was putting chili in with a chocolate. I thought that was a, a bold move. But I think if I were to choose one that I would fancy eating, it would be James's. Yeah. What about you, Jane? Oh, I'm, I totally agree with Howard. I'm not a huge chocolate cake fan. I do find them a bit claggy. Um, and I love the idea of the lime sponges, the homemade pineapple jam. Um, the only thing I would have liked would have been less icing on James's. I'm not a huge buttercream fan, but then you're decorating. Um, so you need to cover it up and do something, don't you? Make it look good. I thought it was charming. It obviously had its construction issues, but as far as eating a cake, I, I love that idea. I've never made pineapple jam, actually. I must give it a go. Coconut and rum buttercream sound nice. I'm not a great fan of chucking chilli in things either. Quite so, yeah, James is definitely number one for me. And what about you, Ian? Have you ever had a chilli chocolate cake? What did you make of the flavours from this Mm. week's bake? Uh, I don't think I've had a chilli chocolate cake. Uh, I mean, I've tried chilli chocolate bars and kind of like them, but not really. Um, I know it's a sort of, some people like that combo, but I didn't particularly warm to it. But yeah, I have to say, like the others, I was really, just really intrigued by um, James's. And I think that's, you know, I think it's a, a great thing to be be intrigued by something. You want to try it and possibly try more of it. And the fact that he did um, his, uh, his demon from um, his Dark Materials and being a fan of that show, that sort of won our house over straight away. So um, he was off to a good start for us. And during this challenge, James went round the other bakers and offered them a shot of rum. I have to ask, was this something which happened during your seasons in the tent, if someone was cooking with alcohol? Do any of you recall that happening in the tent? I remember during the trifle, Deborah, the infamous Deborah, um, had her alcohol in a little atomizer, a little spray, because she just wanted to give the bowl a bit of a glaze of alcohol. And um, the judges were, were picking this atomizer up and spraying that in, into their mouths. So it's quite a nice way of, I think, ingesting alcohol. <laughs> Lovely. And uh, I'm going to ask Ian, which was your favourite as they took it up to the podium? Um, well, I have to say that the one I was um, really surprised and impressed with was Anne-Marie's Monkey. Um, for somebody who you know said she hadn't done a lot of baking I thought she did a really neat job of it um so yeah hats off to her but uh I would still you know once they're all completed I still felt like I wanted to tuck into James's one 
Yeah, I mean, you know, once again, David's one was um, quite entertainingly informal, I think Mary would have called it. <laughs> um, but uh, but it looked hilarious. I thought it was great and sort of amusing use of Toblerone as well. He gets a bonus point for that. <laughs> Definitely. Jane, did you have a favourite out of our showstoppers? Well, apart from flavours, which James is definitely mine, um, I thought Kelly's bear looked fantastic. Yeah, Anne-Marie's monkey was great, uh, without a doubt. And anybody who could manage those big lumps of fondant um, in such a short space of time, I thought, should be applauded. But Kelly's bear, I, I was really worried about it at one point. I thought it was just going to look a complete mess. Uh, but it, I thought it looked great. I thought it looked like a very squidgy teddy bear that you would want to have on your bed. I, I, I thought she did a great job. You know, for somebody who doesn't bake, assembling cake is not easy, especially only in three and a half hours. You know, you really want to be carving things when it's cold and probably been in the fridge for 24 hours. I thought she did a great job. No, my, my favourite in looks, um, and probably then second in eating quality, I thought it was Kelly's Bear. I thought she did an amazing job. Yeah, definitely. It did look very effective. Howard, what about you? Which one was your favourite from looking at them? Yeah, I mean, you had to, you had to smile at Anne-Marie. She was so proud of that, that monkey. You could, you could tell she was delighted that she'd achieved something so good. And I think she said that she'd only practised it with, uh, with ready, uh, ready-made cake mix. So uh, she didn't realise that you had to actually make a cake. Uh, from scratch so that was <laughs> that was the lesson to be learned uh, but yeah Kelly's uh, we've, I've got a little table in the living room which is a bear supporting a kind of uh, uh, ring of, of um, tree trunk and I thought he looked like that I thought he was a lovely looking bear so David's looked the messiest and he said that he'd overmixed his marbling but Paul and Prue said that the sponge and ganache was delicious, which came as a little bit of a surprise, but I was very pleased for David. And Prue said James's snow leopard looked adorable and Paul thought it was a great cake, but said the same as you, Jane, that there was just a bit too much rich icing. And Marie's looked very effective, as we've discussed, but unfortunately Prue said that it wasn't a pleasure to eat as the flavours were nice, but the te- texture was a bit doughy. And Kelly's also looked fantastic with a lovely fur effect buttercream and the intense chili chocolate flavours that came through. But Paul did mention that the cake was slightly overbaked. So just before we come on to the winner, I can't not mention Matt's faux pas in the judge's tent. He mentioned the use of a commode after (laughs) all the chili in Kelly's cake. And Prue said... They're not going to use that, I hope, which Matt said, oh, no, of course not. How often were quips like that made where you thought they might cut it from the final edit, but then you were horrified or alternatively in hysterical stitches to see that it had been aired? Did did any of you have any moments like that that you'd like to share with us? Well, we did have quite a fun week in Tudor week. (laughs) Andrew... Oh, gosh, it makes me laugh to even think about it. There are loads of things that are said in the tent that never make the cut, especially when we have melon sewer around. They're hilarious. But Andrew, Andrew had made these knights on horses going around the side of his cake, and he'd got some caramel spikes in there as the lances, and they looked particularly rude. And then the caramel was... Um, 
dissolving as it does with moisture around. And it looks like the, the horses had peed all down the side of the cake the way these spikes were. And Paul was beside himself with laughter. They just looked so rude. Um, I was sure they were going to make quite a lot of it in the edit and it didn't appear. <laughs> I think you probably had to be there to appreciate the uh, the full rudeness of these caramel spikes and these puddles of melted caramel. So I think that's the one that really stands out for me with these very, very rude horses and the piles of caramel wee, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that, Jane. Howard and Ian, either of you have any moments you want to share with us? I'm trying to think of specifics and none come to mind, but I just know there were a lot of moments where I think particularly Mel and Sue would try and trip up Mary into saying something filthy um, and it would just be too risque and you think, yeah, and of course they they kind of end up on the classroom floor, Um, but they were just hilarious. Um, And it was this kind of continuous barrage of, you know, winding up teasing Paul and trying to trip up Mary. That was just brilliant. Hey everyone, Rosie here. So excited for all the Celeb Bake Off specials and the inevitable carnage. If you'd like to join me for a rather less chaotic baking experience, there are currently spaces on a few of my classes. We've got Cornish pasties on the 21st of March, a real classic. The Jiggle Cheesecake class on the 4th of April, which is a super fun one or speedy croissants with pan au chocolat and marmalade on the 11th of April. I hope to see you there. On to our winner then, and I don't think there was any doubt that it would be James. After impressing the judges with his signature bake and winning the technical challenge, he then wowed the judges with his adorable snow leopard cake and delicious tropical flavours. Let's come to each of you to hear your thoughts. Ian, let's come to you first, because I know you're a fan of James McAvoy. Yeah, well, Lord Asriel, um, he's the man, isn't he? Um, with that great snow leopard of his, he's, um, yeah, he was just sort of destined to win, really, wasn't he? Uh, I think he did, a, he did a, a pretty flawless job throughout. He was, he was clearly there having a lot of fun, um, and, and yet he did uh, brilliant work. So, yeah, a deserved winner. Brilliant. And Howard, what about you? Um, I, I think Paul probably summed it up uh, on the first bake. So I think uh, James's meringue pie, I think it was Paul who said it was so close to perfection. And actually, I think he achieved something so close to perfection across all his bakes. So uh, absolutely, yeah, well deserved. And finally, Jane? Uh, I, I, I absolutely agree, especially with Howard, who said, you know, he came to close to perfection across all three of his bakes. Um he did a great job and I absolutely loved him. I didn't say we haven't mentioned, he threw a lot of stuff about, didn't he? When it, when it, it, it kept chucking things on the floor. Um, he was very flamboyant, I noticed that as well. Don't do that, James. I'm sure you don't do that in your kitchen. Um, but no, I just love him. And the fact that he can bake just he makes him even more lovable. Well, well done, James. Uh, a worthy winner. Okay, so let's move on to things that didn't make us happy this week with Howard's hump. Howard, what's got your hump up this week? Oh, do do you know, I think we've mentioned this in the past, um, but I'm back to it again. Well, Jane has particularly mentioned it, and that is cling film. 
Oh, goodness me. There was a lot of cling film use this week, wasn't there? I just think that for a a programme that actually could take a bit of a stance on trying to use alternatives to cling film, um, it's a bit disappointing when we see so much of it being used. And the other thing that got my hump is it, it got me so worked up that I immediately went online and I've just spent about 30 quid on beeswax wraps. So I'm going to now be using them instead of cling film. I think uh, Bake Off and Love Productions should, uh, should probably follow my lead on that. Well, thank you to all three of you, Jane, Howard and Ian, for joining us this week. And thank you to our podcast listeners for joining us as well. You can join Howard, Jane, special guests and myself next week to discuss our third lot of celebrities and their antics in the tent. Before we say goodbye, just a reminder that as a thank you to you, we would like to offer you a special 10% discount off any of our online classes. Just use the promo code PODCAST at the checkout and we'll hope to see you at a Bake with a Legend class very soon. Join us again next week for the Bake Down podcast. You just heard a stripped media production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.